And this is Northern Light for Tuesday, February 26th. Democrats in the legislature have voted down a plan for redrawing congressional maps. Karen DeWitt has the details coming up. Historians are trying to tell a truer story of the U.S. by including the vital role of black people. Adirondack researcher Connor Williams says it's essential these accounts aren't lost to history. To make a national myth, to make a, a national story, you have to forget so many things that don't fit into that. But to make a people strong, I think you have to remember the diversity of our past. Also, the, the life of North Country native Ann Winthrop coming up. It's 60 degrees in February. We hear from folks in Canton and Potsdam about what, what they think of this weird winter weather. I feel like I can never plan anything because I don't even know if there's going to be snow. I'm unfortunately familiar with the phenomenon of the late um, April snowstorm. In my opinion, spring needs to start at the beginning of April. Also, Kitty O'Neill of Cornell Cooperative Extension joins us for a new segment to get the latest on agriculture in our region. All that's coming up on Northern Light. Stay tuned. Broadcast of Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio is supported by Long Run Wealth, an SEC-registered investment advisor in Lake Placid, providing comprehensive wealth management, retirement, and financial planning solutions, longrunwealth.com, and by Fisher, Bissett, Muldowney, and McArdle, attorneys and counselors at law with offices in Malone, Tupper Lake, and Saranac Lake, 800-941-5001. This is Northern Light. I'm Monica Sandreski. And I'm Todd Moe. Democrats in the New York State Legislature rejected new congressional district maps on Monday. The maps were drawn by a bipartisan redistricting commission. Democrats are now opting to draw their own maps instead. From Albany, Karen DeWitt has details. Democrats rejected the maps. I-17, nays 40. The bill is defeated. The maps were approved 9-1 to 1 by the Bipartisan Independent Redistricting Commission back on February 15th. They left largely intact the maps drawn two years ago by a court-appointed special master. Those maps are believed to have contributed to four congressional seats in New York flipping from Democrat to Republican in 2022, resulting in the GOP's narrow hold on the U.S. House of Representatives. But Deputy Senate Majority Leader Mike Gianero says that's not why the Democrats voted down the maps. There are a number of constitutional defects uh, in the lines. If you look at it, they clearly um, engaged in incumbent protection, which is prohibited by the Constitution. Uh, they, it was actually bipartisan incumbent protection, which is interesting, uh, which explains how they got out of there with bipartisan uh, support. There are numerous county cuts, which uh, are also uh, prohibited by the Constitution. There are communities of interest that are not uh, properly reflected in the line. So there's plenty of, um, of, of defects. Minority party Republicans who backed the commission's maps objected. Senator George Borrello says the Democrats' decision to draw their own maps undermines the will of the voters. They passed a constitutional amendment in 2014 that set up the bipartisan commission to draw new lines. Because the reality is we don't really care what the people think. We care what the political outcome is at the end. And that's what this is about. It's taking it away from the people, taking away the choices that they made. 
The 2022 special master's maps were the result of a court battle where the state's highest court rejected lines drawn by the legislature's Democratic majority, saying they were gerrymandered to benefit the Democrats. Now, in 2024, that court has new leadership. Court of Appeals Chief Judge Rowan Wilson wrote the dissenting opinion when the court threw out the lines drawn by the Democrats. Next, the Democrats will once again draw their own congressional district maps. Senator Gian Naris denies that the new maps, which are still being worked out, will benefit Democrats more than the commission's maps. He says that's illegal under the state's constitution. At the end of the day, if we come up with a map that respects communities of interest, um, deals with keeping uh, uh, political boundaries uh, intact, um, and uh, deals with some of the issues that we think are flawed in the map that was presented to us, hopefully the courts will agree. They will have to act quickly. Petitioning for federal, state, and local primary elections begins Tuesday. Gianera says instead of postponing the start of petitioning, the legislature will likely move to require fewer total signatures to qualify for the ballot. He says he hopes the new lines can be in place by the end of the week. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt for the New York Public News Network. Plans for a battery storage facility in Racket Lake have been abandoned. National Grid had proposed a $50 million energy storage site in the Adirondack community. The company says it would have helped prevent power outages in the region. But the project got a lot of pushback from the community. Some people worried about the risk of lithium-ion battery fires, which are especially challenging to put out. According to the Adirondack Explorer, National Grid said the battery facilities are safe and essential to the future of clean energy. The company said it doesn't have alternative plans for a battery facility, though it plans to build a new substation in the area when the weather warms up. Governor Hochul says she'd be on board if President Biden decides to crack down on the southern border. WNYC's John Campbell reports for the New York Public News Network. Hochul was among a group of governors who met with the president at the White House. It came amid reports that Biden may use his executive authority to make it tougher for people to seek asylum at the southern border. In a statement, Hochul says she told Biden she'd support the move. New York City is providing shelter to tens of thousands of migrants seeking asylum in the U.S. Governor Hochul and Mayor Eric Adams have warned it's not financially sustainable. Some congressional Democrats oppose the idea of a unilateral border crackdown. Bronx and Queens Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez says seeking asylum is, quote, a legal right of all people. In Albany, I'm John Campbell for the New York Public News Network. There's been an effort in recent years to reframe our nation's history, to recognize and honor the critical role that black people have played since they first arrived on American soil in 1619. Adirondack historian Connor Williams has been part of that push, refocusing the narrative of American history to highlight black stories. One of the people he's researching now is Anne Hampton Northrup, who was born in Hudson Falls and later worked in Saratoga Springs. She was the wife of Solomon Northrup, a free black man who was captured and enslaved and whose story was turned into the award-winning film 12 Years a Slave. But little has been known about his wife. Williams spoke with our Adirondack reporter Emily Russell about his research on Anne Hampton, who is also the focus of his upcoming lecture in Westport in mid-March. She was born free, which is very important, in 
upstate New York in Washington County, actually, in the 1810s. And she grew up largely apprenticing in kitchens around Saratoga Springs area. She had two, three actually, excuse me, children, and her husband was all of a sudden gone. He was able to get a message back early in his captivity and his enslavement, uh, letting them know that he was alive. And that gave her some hope and determination to keep going, but keeping her family fed, growing, educated on a single woman's paycheck while her husband was vanished is really an inspiring story. What remains of of her story? Like how do you how do we know today what her life was like back then and what records are there of her her life? Uh, there are very few and I'm still doing research into those records. I'm hoping to find more. The census can be an incredible help. It's it's a almost a trite phrase that historians are the census, but that tells you so much about someone where they were. And she shows up in many of the census years from this era, uh, either with Solomon or without him when he's been enslaved. So you start with the census and then you think about what she did. And we know she was a, a cook and a highly sought after cook, especially in summer resort towns. And from that, we don't have any records of exactly the United States Tavern where she worked and to be able to know that's a tavern in Saratoga Springs, by the way, but a way to know exactly what she was doing on a daily basis. And then we also know about the allies that did help keep finding Ann Northrup work. She did move down to New York City uh, because she needed more consistent work and how she was able to parlay, if you will, early abolitionist and communities of free people of color into mutual support. There is no unemployment, no welfare. There's certainly not a fund for people whose husbands have been kidnapped and uh, enslaved. But she was able to use those casual connections with other free people of color, with uh, other abolitionists, with other allies to forge some sort of a secure path for her family. How common is it that stories of, of free black women like Anne Hampton Northup are kind of written out of history, that we focus so much on on the men and their experiences. We as Americans want to see our history as a redemptive one and as one that's always leading towards some predetermined outcome. But a much more accurate grappling with the past makes us realize how many Americans have had to face far greater challenges, not from abroad or from adversity, but from their our own culture. And I think that women's history, especially black women's history, too often is a tragedy without a happy ending. Uh, for women who weren't fortunate enough to live to see the Voting Rights Act or the 19th Amendment or any of the other milestones, uh, they lived and died in a nation that was only partially for them. And so I think that that can make people uncomfortable about their history. There, there's no easy way to tell the story of even someone like Harriet Tubman or Sojourner Truth who made these incredibly inspirational acts but still died in a country where they couldn't vote. Why do you think it's important to share stories like Anne Hampton Northups and, and others um, with the work you do? Absolutely. There's a old saying by a French historian named Ernst Renan from 1882, actually. But he said something very close to, nations are defined as much by what they forget as what they remember. The idea being that 
to make a national myth, to make a, a national story, you have to forget so many things that don't fit into that. But to make a people strong, I think you have to remember the diversity of our past. And that's why I think stories like Ann Hampton's are so important to tell because they don't fit into a all good, all progressive arc of history. She actually, she passed at work, it seems like. She was still working the day she died. And by losing her husband suddenly for, for 12 years, she faced a society that was not designed to accommodate her in any way besides as a uh, a victim and a, a charity case. And how she navigated that is very important. So it it's a way of, I think, making us a, a much stronger society by examining some of what we've forgotten as opposed to just retelling the things we want to remember. That was Adirondack historian Connor Williams speaking with Emily Russell. You can hear Williams' lecture on Hampton Northup at the library in Westport on March 19th. Meanwhile, there are two other Black History events happening tonight in the Adirondacks. At 5.30 at the Public Library in Lake Placid, there's a talk on Lyman Epps, a Black man who was one of the founders of the library. And at 6 tonight, the Public Library in Glens Falls is screening a film on the integration of schools in Mississippi. Listening to Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio. It's 814. Good morning. I'm Todd Moe. And I'm Monica Sandreski. Coming up, we'll check in with Kitty O'Neill of the Cornell Cooperative Extension to find out how our region's farmers are faring here in February. That's coming up in just a few minutes here on Northern Light. Music by Saranac Project in Saranac Lake. Northern Light is supported by Long Run Wealth, an SEC-registered investment advisor in Lake Placid, providing comprehensive wealth management, retirement, and financial planning solutions. LongRunWealth.com. And Fisher, Bissett, Muldowney, and McArdle, attorneys and counselors at law with offices in Malone, Tupper Lake, and Saranac Lake. 800-941-5001. High-elevation Adirondack bird species have declined in population over the last decade. According to a new report from the Vermont Center for Eco-Studies, Bicknell's thrush, white-throated sparrow, and winter wren populations have declined by 40% since 2010. Those birds prefer to live at higher elevations with cooler temperatures, which are decreasing due to rising temperatures and climate change. Every year, the center monitors and reports on 10 species of birds that live on mountaintops, either seasonally or year-round. 
Meanwhile, the mild temperatures earlier this month and again today and tomorrow are allowing many maple producers in the North Country to get an early start producing syrup this season. Adam Wild, director of the Eline Maple Research Forest near Lake Placid, says fluctuating late winter temperatures and warming winters mean the sap is flowing earlier from New York's maple trees. If you don't have your taps in, I'd probably recommend getting them in now. Um, even on a backyard size, definitely a commercial producer, but the backyard size with the weather, how it looks the next couple weeks coming up, going to be a great time to get get your buckets or bags, however you're tapping your trees and get ready and collect some of that sap if you're available. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if we have sap flow for a couple weeks and then it freezes up for a couple weeks after that. That that could certainly be a, a possibility. So, you know, if you're busy this next couple weeks and you don't have the time to do that. You're not ready to collect. You know, it's not the end of the world. There's still more to come. Adam Wild says he and his crew at E-Line have spent most of the winter installing and inspecting miles of maple sap collection vacuum tubing in preparation for the upcoming maple season. They typically process a few thousand gallons of maple syrup every year. So is he worried about a weather forecast predicting afternoon highs in the 50s and 60s this week? It, it concerns me a little bit. You know, if we get a little too warm that the trees start to think about waking up more and the buds um, within the trees starting to think about, you know, swelling and starting to open up. But it seems like it's going to be kind of the the high for the day and cooling back down. And I know, you know, at least in Lake Placid, we're dropping, you know, the high is 55, but the low is five degrees. So it's definitely a roller coaster that's coming. So fingers crossed that, you know, we're we're still, you know, a little ways out from being really concerned about the weather so far. Wild says historically, the North Country's maple syrup season runs from mid-March through late April. According to a new report from the U.S. Department of Agriculture, New York maple producers processed 750,000 gallons of syrup last year, an 8% decrease from 2022. New York is the second largest maple producing state with 2.5 million taps. Vermont ranks first. Many maple producers around the North Country will open their sugar shacks to the public during the annual Maple Weekends. That's March 16th and 17th and March 23rd and 24th. There's more information on the website mapleweekend.com. Okay, our news interns were curious what your neighbors make of this mild weather. Aaron Stickney Zach Jaworski and Skylar White caught up with folks at the universities in Canton and Potsdam. Uh, my name is Ben Cabot. I'm from Stowe, Vermont, and I'm a sophomore at St. Lawrence. The skiing's been really good and then really bad. It's been very cold and then very warm. Uh, right now we're in a lull. It's melting. Uh, we haven't seen the sun for a little while. I've skied all my life, so I'm just hoping that February we get the normal huge dump that we usually do uh, in the north. I mean, maybe because I've been getting taller over my 20 years, the snow's been getting shorter, but I really feel like the snow has been going down in recent years, and uh, with all the talk about climate change, I can't help but think that that has something to do with it. Regardless, I'm still going to take my car to the mountain and back, because uh, I still do want to ski. I'm Naveen Reddy. I'm from Andhra Pradesh, which is located in India. I have done my undergraduation over there. Now I'm pursuing master's in Clarkson University in data science program. Winter, this was our first snowfall uh, environment which we visited. The first month, like when it started falling snow, we were enjoying it. Literally now we are facing some trouble while walking on the roads Mm -hmm. when it was slippery. 
but rest everything it looks good awesome but we are not used to this kind of coldness actually my name is lexi lee i am a sophomore here at st lawrence university and i am from manhattan new york i'm unfortunately familiar with the phenomenon of the late um april snowstorm in my opinion spring needs to start at the beginning of april and the april snowstorm absolutely sucks so i feel like you know what as long as you know we have a white christmas and then like a decent amount of snow from like january to the end of march i think that's a good amount of time for you know me to get my skiing done it's good for the environment i would be a great snow miser in my opinion humbly you know might i say because i would make it white christmas and then i would you know make sure that winter ends at an appropriate time uh, my name is jonathan hoose i'm a electrician at clarkson uh, i'm originally from potsdam it's definitely more mild uh the a lot less snow um it's it's uh i guess it's been nice <laughs> my kids play hockey and uh we usually will be able to skate outside uh earlier than we have been this year um the ice obviously hasn't been very good um for outdoor activities but have you found it easier to sort of get to hockey games now because the weather's been a little bit nicer absolutely i haven't had to put my studded tires on my name is richard haller i am from decalb junction new york and I'm majoring in technological communications. I feel like the weather used to be more consistent, um, but that's definitely changed in the last couple of years, and especially this year, I feel. I feel like I can never plan anything because I don't even know if there's going to be snow, which is not something I would have worried about a few years ago. Um, so my name is Kimberly Gomez. I go, currently go to school in Clarkson University, but I'm from Long Island, New York, so it's a little down south, about like seven hours. And I think the weather has been a little bit better this year in terms of not as cold. I remember the last spring semester I was here, it was like negative for weeks. But in a way, that's kind of bad because that means it's getting warmer. And there's not as much snow anymore, like the grass is coming out, which is kind of scary because I grew up sledding and snowball fights and snowmen. So definitely remember a lot of snow before. So it's kind of sad how it's getting warmer and kind of disappearing down there. That was Ben Cabot, Naveen Reddy, Richard Howler, Jonathan Hoos, Lexi Lee, and Kimberly Gomez. This story was produced by our new news interns, Aaron Stickney, Zach Jaworski, and Skylar White. The Wild Center in Tupper Lake has been selected as the best science museum in the country, according to USA Today's 2024 Reader's Choice Awards. A panel of travel experts and readers decided on the top 10 best museums nationwide. According to the Adirondack Daily Enterprise, the Wild Center surpassed the Franklin Institute in Philadelphia and the Exploratorium in San Francisco. The director of marketing at the Wild Center, Nick Gunn, told the paper, quote, it's not just about being named the best, it's about showing the world the world what the Adirondacks are made of. To celebrate, the Wild Center is inviting everyone to come for a free community day, Saturday, March 9th, from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. 
Libraries in the North Country are hosting solar eclipse-themed events from now until mid-April and offering free eclipse sun uh, free eclipse glasses to the public while supplies last. According to a press release from the North Country Library System, events include guest lectures, story times, and making pinhole cameras for safe viewing. Some libraries are hosting viewing parties the afternoon of the total solar eclipse on Monday, April 8th. You can find out more from your community's local library. The free eclipse classes are provided by the Space Science Institute in Boulder, Colorado. You're listening to Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio. I'm Todd Moe. And I'm Monica Sandreski. In just a minute, how farm animals keep warm in winter. Then stick around after the show for Bird Note, some bird photography advice. Observe birds first, take a picture second, if at all. That's just ahead at 842. First, Todd has a look at the weather for us. Nice. Uh, highs today around 60, maybe a bit windy. Winds out of the south uh, with gusts up to 30, 35 miles per hour at times. According to the Weather Service, partly cloudy, maybe an isolated rain shower today and tonight. Lows, lows overnight around 50. And then tomorrow, about an 80, 90% chance of rain showers. Highs near 60 again on Wednesday. It's going to get colder on Thursday again. Highs in the 20s with sunshine. And then we'll see temperatures in the 40s and 50s starting on Friday. Right now in Canton, sunshine, 52 degrees. Crops and livestock are a big part of the economy of the North Country, so we're starting a regular segment on Northern Light to check in on what's going on with agriculture and farmers in the region. I checked in recently with Kitty O'Neill, the statewide ag climate resiliency specialist at the Cornell Cooperative Extension, to find out what's happening this month. It looks quiet out there, right, if you're just driving around the region. Um, There's less equipment visible on the roads and stuff. However... There's a lot happening on farms right now. It's a it's a round the year job, um, it especially for the livestock and dairy farms. Mm-hmm. Right, they have animals to care for every day, that never stops, and uh, the winter presents a few challenges to that. Even though we haven't had any serious cold snaps, they have to keep things unfrozen and operating. And there's lots of equipment that doesn't really like cold weather from time to time, so. They need to stay on top of those things, fix repairs or keep things running. Um, animals need to drink water every day. Water freezes. Yeah. So it takes a little extra effort sometimes to make sure all those systems stay operating all the time. And then, of course, animals just need to be comfortable and fed and, and cared for every day. So all that doesn't change for those farms. And you've said that like the, the comfort of animals is... A really important thing. What does that look like? Yeah. So I I kind of wanted to point out that there's lots of animals out there that um, don't feel chilly in the same temperatures you and I would feel chilly. For example, they feel comfortable. You know, today it's maybe 30 degrees out there, 35 degrees. Big mature dairy cows, horses, beef cattle, 
they feel perfectly comfortable at this temperature. They they um, they have big complicated uh, rumens, uh, fermentation systems in their stomachs that help keep them warm. Yeah. So that. They don't really feel chilly until it gets a lot colder than this. And so they're the easiest ones to care for. They, those bigger animals stay comfortable um, without a lot of intervention in the winter. Yeah. Um, it's important that they have fresh air in the barn. And so you'll notice sometimes the windows are open even on a really cold day, but that's because they still need fresh air. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't want to be, we want to keep them dry mm-hmm. and comfortable. So some air exchange in the barn and that kind of thing is, is necessary even for, even in the cold weather. Yeah. And, uh, I think you said, um, have said in the past, just like a place to get out of the wind. Yeah. So, yeah. so some animals are still outside in the winter, right? right? And that's fine. They're comfortable, but they do need to, a place to get out of the wind and we want them to be able to be dry. And so if we can accomplish those two things and keep them fed well, Mm -hmm. sometimes it takes a little extra feed. Um, It takes a few extra calories to keep your body temperature warm. You know, you notice that if you're out cross-country skiing or something sometimes uh, for them too. So out of the wind and dry, plenty of feed. And what about... I'm thinking of our smaller little yeah. animals. How do they stay? How do they stay warm? <laughs> those are the harder ones, and those that requires a, lo- a lot more attention mm-hmm. because those smaller animals, it is harder for them to feel comfortable. They have a much narrower range of comfort, temperature-wise, yeah. temperature and humidity. So, we want to definitely keep them, give them nice, deep, warm, dry bedding. Um, feed them a little extra. And there's a lot of small calves and lambs and goat kids and foals that will spend the whole winter wearing little jackets. They wear jackets maybe from November, December through March or April to help with um, keeping them in, in comfortable in that narrower range. They're very cute. Yes. <laughs> Can you describe the sock the, Yeah, so yeah. I do know a lamb, a sheep farmer rather, who recycles used uh, smart wool socks into yeah. jackets, but there are special made little jackets uh, polyester fleece, and then of course a dairy farm would need maybe a couple dozen of these jackets, yeah. right? And those are special purpose purchase just for that use, and probably not made out of Smartwell socks, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you've mentioned too, like drinking warm milk. And oh yeah, things. sometimes yeah. when it's really cold, mm-hmm. um, there's they'll maybe have an extra feeding, okay. and and the the milk or um, milk replacer would be warmed up mm-hmm. um and that yeah there's a lot more care given when it gets really cold and it's been a mild winter so i'm sure there's been less of that right. uh, or less uh risks i guess with all of that on farms this year but yeah keep they always keep an eye out for calves that don't look comfortable and to take corrective action yeah and you've mentioned too like sometimes people have reached out to you about worried about like um guardian dogs that are yeah. and their care. Yeah. yeah, there's guardian dogs that um, their whole job is to be out with a flock of sheep or a herd of cattle or goats. And they also are pretty darn comfortable out mm. in the cold. They're comfortable because of their thick coats um, down to temperatures where we would be cold, but they're fine. And so um, they still like to roam around outside and it's hard to bring them inside and try to keep them warm because they don't feel comfortable with that. Yes. Well, I think we've talked about lives, you know, livestock farms, dairy farms, but what about these um, crop 
Compounds. Yeah, they're not all on vacation, right? right? There's a lot to do in the winter, um, even on a cash crop farm, vegetable farms, fruit mm-hmm. farms. Fruit farms are doing some pruning in the cold months sometimes, uh, depending on their fruit trees and um, vines. Uh, vegetable and cash crop farmers have definitely ordered all the seed they're going to need for 2024, and maybe they've got that on hand already, and maybe it's already been delivered. They're doing um, financial planning and human resource topics, um, and they're going to a lot of educational programs. In extension, we know that the winter season is often the best time to host uh, educational programs because a lot of the farmers have more time to attend. So they're out for professional development and bringing that new information home. Yeah, yeah. Well, Kitty, I think those are all the questions that I have. Is there anything else that you think we should know or you'd like to add? No, we'll just uh, hope for enough snow to ski, but not so much cold that it makes farmers have more work. How's that for the rest of the winter? Sounds good to me. Sounds good to me. <laughs> Kitty O'Neill, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Kitty O'Neill is the statewide agricultural climate resiliency specialist at the Cornell Cooperative Extension. And she'll be joining us every month to keep us updated on what's going on in agriculture. That's it for Northern Light on this Tuesday morning. Yes, Morning Edition continues in just a minute. Then join us uh, after that for the Marketplace Morning Report coming up between 8.51 and 9 o'clock. But before we go, we wanted to mention a couple of events going on in the community, including at the Brush Art Gallery at St. Lawrence University in Canton. They have an exhibit on German modernism, sound and vision. Presents a range of aesthetic styles and movements from early 20th century German modernism like naturalism, expressionism, abstraction, all those sort of things in response to World War I. You can find out more at stlawu.edu slash gallery. Thursday is Leap Day. Thursday the 29th, right? February 29th. Finally, it's here after long last. Tell us if you are a leap year baby or you have a friend or a relative who was born on February 29th. We're going to give them a special birthday shout-out Thursday morning during Northern Light. We want to know, leap your babies. Let us know it's your birthday. (laughs) Email us if you'd like, news at ncpr.org. I'm Monica Sandreski. I'm Todd Moe. Thanks for listening. Be well.